Hi, I'm Adam. And I'm Rob. And welcome to another episode of the Hollowdale Media Podcast. My tinnitus is back, and I want to get that out of the way. <laughs> no, it's... It started after uh, I went to uh, Glastonbury Festival back in 2019, when the world was normal. Um, very heavy weekend, and then there was throbbing. I f- woke up thinking there was a UFO outside my window. <laughs> For ages, I was like, what the hell is that outside? And I realised it was in my ear. Uh, it went away um, after a few weeks, and now it's back, and it won't go. Was it this time of year? Is it a spring thing? It was the end of June, so it's close. Mm. It's close. I wonder if it's the sound of nature screaming, nature waking up. If it persists, and this is life now, I will be a naked forest man, and you must not, never come near me. <laughs> never come near me. So if we want you out, we just have to hum have to hum at a very low <laughs> your best bet is to put a beehive somewhere if we oh you can hear the bees i am the bee man oh my god yeah crazy 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 you know, sometimes i think we've talked about this before like, probably last time you had the tinnitus situation sometimes i can hear electricity oh i just Electro. hear as things get turned on and stuff oh god yeah well, I've had it the last couple of days, so maybe it is uh, linked to some sort of seasonal pollen. Yeah, or change. Conductive pollen. Changing the pressure. Uh, well, yeah, so we are, what we're saying is we're superheroes. We are su- Buzzman and Electrofield. With the, with the lamest pair of special powers ever. Yeah, that's true. Josh can speak to clowns, which is... <laughs> yeah, which is way, way better. It is a lot better. It's yeah. just an army of clowns. Just at his disposal. Mm. So it's been an uh, interesting couple of weeks since we last spoke to you. Last time we mentioned we weren't watching the Oscars. Still have no idea who no. Won, who, who, who won. Uh, the, the, the Nomads. The Nomad. Nomad. Um, which I did look into it a bit. It's a, a true story about nomad communities in America who just travel around. They have their own little vans and stuff. And okay. I know that they used actual nomads in the film to play some of the roles. So they went and researched and, and you, you know, filmed with these with these people who, okay. who are actually very fascinating. I've heard from multiple sources, but the movie itself is very boring. But I quite like those kind of travelly weird, like road movies like that. I don't know. So I, I'm going to give it a watch. It's on Star now. Well, um, which one? What animation one? Soul. Soul must have won. I have no idea. I don't know. This is good. This is up-to-date current media news. Yeah, so if, you, if you've come here for your Oscar news, we never fail to disappoint. We reckon Soul and Nomad won. Yeah, and I know the Sound of Metal cleared up on the Sound Oscars, I, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Hooray! All hooray right. for news. Next year might be different because I'll probably have seen some of the films. Yeah. That's the problem. I get. I, is this why people don't care about award ceremonies? Because they're just not films yeah. everyone watches. I'd say so. I'd say so. Yeah, it's just um, a load of pretentious crap. I remember the, the, there was one year where I watched every single Oscar-nominated film, and they were all brilliant. Yeah. It was the year of Wolf of Wall Street, Dallas Buyers Club. Oh right, okay. Ah, that big, big hitters. It was amazing. Not, not so much these days. No, it's just pretentious garbage. Just pretentious garbage. Pretentious garbage. We all knew that. We all knew that's what the Oscars are about. Have you been watching anything? Not really. 
I watched The Bad Batch. Speaking of Disney Plus, is that any good? Uh, yeah, it is. It, it, I tell you what, it looks incredible. The so it's a cartoon series on Disney Plus, but it looks like a Pixar film. It looks like something that big should be on the big screen. I thought it was live action. Nah. I didn't know. Oh, that's a shame. Same as Clone Wars. Okay, cool. But it's uh, yeah, really interesting and really well made. So yeah, if you like Star Wars, what bad batch? Nice. Other than that, no, nothing. Well, I watched Rocket Man earlier in the week because that's like I imagine many people did in the UK because it's just been put on UK Netflix. The um, Taron Egerton is starring. Uh, it stars Zelton John. Uh, yeah, very good. Very long, but very good. Yeah. Um, I I didn't realise the crap that Elton John. He he seemed like a very lost fellow, um, and it was portrayed very well. And uh, he was brilliant in it I don't know um, if you got any Oscar nominations for it but he oh yeah you got loads yeah he should have yeah he was absolutely fantastic I didn't bother because I don't care I like my musical biopics man what can I say it was um, yeah it was, it was good it was good I'd, I'd recommend it to anyone who wants to know about the story of Mr. Elton John and I would recommend Star Stories Elton John episode for the same biopic <laughs> but much much funner yeah I think that would be better yeah. Oh, it's anger. It's anger. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I've just lost track a little bit. I'm working a lot more, I suppose. Doesn't help. I've gone to a, I've gone to a crossroads in my life where I've suddenly realised that in order for one part of my life to succeed, I need to sabotage the other. Sabotage. Yes. Yeah. Sabotage. Which I think a lot of people go through, maybe. But yeah, it's an interesting door to walk through on your life and go, oh. Oh, I'm here. Okay. Do you cling to the safety of the known? Exactly, exactly. leap into the abyss? That is what we do. The abyss. Give me that abyss. Indeed. Anyway. So, last time we watched Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger. One of the great uh, action movies of the 80s. And speaking of Arnold Schwarzenegger, he helped me link to our next movie oh. which we're going to be talking about this week okay would you like to hear it yes okay commando is a movie starring arnold schwarzenegger the focus who is the focus of the 1977 docudrama pumping iron iron is an element and also the namesake for tony stark's alter ego iron man who was played by robert downey jr robert downey jr once played sherlock holmes a fictional detective dreamed up by the legendary author Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle once told the American press an evil elemental spirit was responsible for the death of Lord Carnarvon. The evil spirits were said by Doyle to be created by priests to protect the tomb of Tutankhamun. A mummy discovered after Lord Carnarvon financed the dig. Tutankhamun, being a mummy, means that this film is The Mummy. Oh my god, that's a very good link. Thank you very much. Conan, was that? Conan, Conan, tomato, tomato, potato, <laughs> potato. So, The Mummy. The Mummy. The mm. Brendan Fraser one. Yes, no. So you don't want to you don't want to talk about the other one? I dangled Tom Cruise in front of me and I slapped him away like a wet <laughs> haddock. There will be no... Scientologist nonsense on this episode. Very good. Cool. Well, we'll get into that shortly. 
But first, a review. Adam's Film Reviews, Outside the Wire 2021. Sir, looking for Captain Leo. You must have really messed up if they sent you to Leo. Do you know why you're here? Yeah, because I broke chain of command. Harp, he's not like us. You're up. You're commanding officer. I'm gonna give you 60 seconds to deal with it. Yes, sir. Cool. What are you, AI? A gump's AI. I'm a prototype, and my existence is classified. But I can't do this alone. I need someone who can think outside the box. That's why you're here. I chose you. You got a picture of him? I'm not even having this conversation. Hey, it's fair game, rookie. She's a hottie, congratulations. Thank you. Hey, my gummy bear? Oh, my gummy bear. Please, tell me what you know. In front of him? You can trust him. He's a your informant? Listen, I'm a combat soldier, but I feel more than you think. I can't do this with eyes on me. They put your tracker on your back? Sometimes you gotta get dirty to see any real change. Welcome to the war, kid. Outside the Wire is a Netflix original sci-fi action film directed by Swedish filmmaker Mikael Hefström and written by Rob Yeskum and Rowan Afau. Set in the near future, Outside the Wire transplants the tropes and themes of the war in the Middle East to Eastern Europe with a plot reminiscent of Call of Duty where pro-Russian insurgents are attempting to annex Ukraine into Russia while Ukraine rebels fight back. All overseen by US peacekeepers in extremely large and bold quotation marks. The film opens with Lieutenant Thomas Harp, a drone pilot for the US Air Force, played by British-born Damson Idris, who disobeys orders to fire on an enemy vehicle, accidentally causing the death of two US Marines caught in the firing line. Rather than being court-martialed, Harp is shipped off to the front lines to get a feel for what war is like on the ground, and is sent to work for Captain Leo, played by Anthony Mackie. On his arrival to Ukraine, Harp is warned that Leo is an oddball and that working with him is about as close to suicide as one could get. Sure enough, when they meet, we find that Leo is a loner, studying intelligence materials in isolation from the rest of the camp and is quick to anger in response to Harp's questions. Leo reveals to Harp that they are hunting a war criminal who plans to capture Cold War-era nuclear missiles and take the world to ransom. A surprisingly Bond villain-esque strategy, if ever I heard one. The plan? To take a supply of medicine outside the wire, as in outside the wire fence, to a nearby refugee camp, and from there make contact with the rebels to track down the sinister Victor Caval. It sounds straightforward enough, but as they prep to leave, Hart makes a surprising discovery. As Leo prepares himself, he reveals that he isn't like Harp much at all. In fact, he's not like anyone. Leo is, in fact, a prototype android designed to blend in with the rest of humanity, except for his 
super speed, super strength and questionable interpretation of morals. Why? Who knows? I guess it looks cool. So off they go. Harp and Leo set off into the decaying ruins of Ukraine on the hunt for terrorist war criminals and, most importantly of all, the launch code to the hidden Soviet nukes concealed in the country. Harp, mostly useless in the field, can just about manage to stand and watch in awe as Leo negotiates peace with some while absolutely wiping the floor with others. Presumably less forgivable people. But as the plot develops, Hart begins to wonder just what Leo's real objective is. Now, I'm sure Outside the Wire had a point somewhere along the line. Was it about the the facelessness of modern and future warfare? Maybe. Was it to highlight the hypocrisy of US foreign policy? Could be. But I fully suspect it was all just there because it kind of looked cool. To its credit, the technology of Outside the Wire was indeed kind of cool. Robot soldiers known as Gumps serve alongside flesh and blood marines, and they're treated with an appropriate level of suspicion and awe, while drone pilots wage war from home, chewing on their gummy bears completely detached from the realities of war. For all it's worth, Damson just does a solid job in his role as harm. There just wasn't a whole lot of role to work with. As you would expect from Marvel's latest darling, Anthony Mackie completely steals every scene. His charisma on screen holds much of the nonsensical film together and absolutely sells himself well as a morally confused super soldier. The combat scenes are where Outside the Wire excels, pulling off the guerrilla warfare of urban combat really, genuinely impressively. And I suspect a lot of thought went into the roles and techniques used by the robot soldiers on both sides of the conflict. I just didn't get it. The central theme, if there was one, was bogged down beneath piles of debris and set pieces that felt like they were just there. The final act was muddled and a little confusing, and to tell you the truth, I didn't know which side I was on. Not because of any impressive feat of moral storytelling, you understand. I just wasn't sure what anyone was actually doing. If you're into your war films, particularly those with a sci-fi edge to them, then by all means, check this out on Netflix. Personally, I just don't think there was much to write home about here. Do you trust me? Welcome to Fortnite Schmortnite. Dominic Monaghan and Billy Boyd, who played Mariah Brandybuck and Peregrine Cook in the Lord of the Rings movies, are reuniting for a podcast about their day shooting the trilogy in New Zealand. Hmm. Premiering May 18th, the podcast is called The Friendship Onion, for La knows why. Monaghan said, I am contractually obliged to make a glowing comment here in regards to the podcast Billy and I are making together. This is proving difficult as Billy has abducted me and is holding me for ransom for the price of 44 bananas. Please send bananas. Um, so that will be available. What? What have, <laughs> have they lost their minds? I think they have. It's been a long time. So they're making a podcast about filming Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Which they, is at this point almost 20 years old. They have anecdotes. Well, the, I, when I looked at their AMA that they did a couple of days ago at this mm. point. And uh, one of the stories they were telling us how they were all kind of like sat in a van, like sharing music they liked. Okay. Christopher Lee rocks up and he plays the heaviest metal because he's great, you know, he's, a, he's done apparently yeah, quite, yeah. No, he has, yeah. quite bad metal albums. But um, yeah, he put all this heavy stuff on. They're like, oh my God, Christopher Lee, you're the real deal, man. What is Dracula? Maybe what you else? are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what else with vampires? Yeah. 
Uh, so I think they've got stuff like that, and I guess um, it just feels like a long, well, a long time it's ago. It's a thing people do now. There's two um, Pam and Angela from The Office. They've got their own podcast that they did about The Office. I think celebrities from like much loved cult TV and films now that's a thing they do. Right. But like, I guess how much content do you have? How long does it last? Would it be like a six pod- six episode special? Yeah. I suppose you start bringing in other people. I mean, let's hear from Elrond. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, if they, there's a place. I mean, if you Google it, you can find out where. But they like uh, they're going to take some fan questions. I'm going to try and get one in. I think. But uh, what, nah. would you, what, what would you ask them? What would be what your would question? I ask them. Jeez. Um, um, craziest night out? That's a bit boring, isn't Look. it? Yeah, I don't know. I can't think that you're asking me off the top of my head. That's a huge question. Did you really eat mushrooms? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, was there... How much sweat pulled in the feet? Yeah, who farted the loudest? Who did the worst? That's see, You can't put me on the spot. I don't know. That's a huge question, Adam. Uh, do you wish you got to be a soldier? Yeah, if you could... armor... If you could have played any other character, who do you play? Something like that, that'd be cool. Um, but yeah, I'd be yeah. I'm very excited. As a Lord of the Rings fan, I can't wait. I think it's gonna be cool. Um, yeah, it's pretty rad, man. Yeah. Are they gonna call it the Scrolls? No, they're calling it the Friendship Onion. Uh, what does that even mean? I don't know. I don't even understand that reference. <laughs> anyway, Broken uh, Carrots. They should have called it Broken Carrots. It'd be very good. Farmer Maggots. Uh, crop of talkies. Uh, shortcut to pods. Yeah. Um, what about second podcast? We pipe smoke. Pod smoke. Pod pod smoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Long bottom. Leaf it out. We're having a chat. Uh, Hobbit foots. The Shire cast. Uh, talk. Hobbiton talky talk. The Silmarillion pod. Done. A podcast of Morgoth. <laughs> They're taking the <laughs> hobbits to the recording studio. <laughs> right. Nintendo is, yes. pl- is planning more animated movies after Super Mario. Did I know that they were making a Super what? Mario movie? Yeah, no. When did that... I, did I forget? Did I learn and unlearn it? So they're making a Super Mario movie. Okay, that's news itself, yeah. They're making an animated Super Mario movie. Um, Illumination Entertainment is bringing us that movie. Uh, but Nintendo's global president, Shuntaro Furuwaka, said they are looking into doing more. Um, he said, animation in general is something that we are looking into and not just this franchise. Although the ways we're expanding our IP are increasing, we are very, very careful about where and how our IP is increased. Of course, they, they always have been, and that's stunted them. Yeah, they need to They need to they not care. Throw really, them out. Exactly. Have some turds. Like, you know. uh, Detective Pikachu wouldn't have happened if it was Nintendo. No. Because it's the, the other company. I don't think it's so much to do with Game Freak. I think they might have had to somehow get the rights to that via Nintendo. They... No, there is something about that. Didn't they... Game Freak had the rights to Pokemon Go. Nintendo had nothing to do with that. Well, there was something there was about a that. weird loophole, wasn't Yeah, there? that's yeah. why it existed, because it just wouldn't have. It was... Yeah. Um, I think they need to just hurry up and just churn a few out. Yeah. Um, like, I, the one I would like to see is Metroid Prime. That'd be pretty cool. Uh-huh. Someone playing Samus Aran. A woman can roll up into a little football. Catherine Winnick. Yes. Catherine Winnick. Yes. Yes. She is. Yes. <laughs> that needs to happen. Yeah. That needs to happen now. 
yeah. Yeah, man. I, you know, and obviously the, I, I don't know if Zelda would translate. I, I'd like you'd a live action to, Zelda. You'd, yeah, but you'd also have to pick a one game. Yeah. Because they're all so different, aren't they? Yeah. You'd have to pick the middle ground. Yeah, you'd even Which have would to... have to be Ocarina of Time, wouldn't it? You'd have to, yeah, Ocarina of Time now is what the story that fans know the most. And I think you could kind of take elements from other ones. Maybe you could go back yeah. to the old SNES games or like... Well, you could visit you know. somewhere from another game. But I think the core story would have to be the one everyone knows, surely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. Um, aside from that, Pokemon, they can't really ever do properly to how everyone wants because it's really animal violence. It's fine seeing Arcanine using Tackle in a cartoon, but when he's smashing into like a little a Rhyhorn and biting it, does it look a bit RSPCA petter? Well, they're still doing Detective Pikachu 2, and they had some of that in... They had one battle, didn't they? Yeah. But it was all like water guns and flamethrowers. It wasn't like animal ripping other animal to shreds. True. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't the cypher tearing the flesh off a Pikachu. Yeah. It would have to be all hyper beams and ice beams and solar beams and bubble beams and you know all of the beams psi beams what Kirby signal beam do we have a Kirby Kirby film yeah Kirby film there's there's, there's, yeah definitely I don't know what else there is what else has Nintendo got Star Fox Star Fox I swear they were talking about doing something with Star Fox like a cartoon or something Star Fox would be cool Star Fox would be awesome yeah perfect dark although that's rare now I don't know like uh there's, there's there's lots um, Fire Emblem, I don't, I couldn't care less because half of Super Smash Bros. I'm getting into my nerd segment. Um, yeah, come on, Nintendo, keep, keep, uh, keep throwing them out. Yeah, hurry up, sort it out, sniff some drugs and just go crazy. <laughs> Ant Man and the Wasp and Game of Thrones star Hannah John Carmen has been cast to play Red Sonja in the upcoming Red Sonja movie. Sonja. Why is it spelled Sonja? Because it's Weird and barbarian. Why is he Sonia? All right. Hello, I'm Sonia. I'll play the trombone. Um, <laughs> this is an EastEnders reference for anyone out there. Uh, it's worth noting that this is not in the MCU, so it's not like she's playing two characters. Um, I know nothing about Red Sonja at all, but I, having Googled it just now, it looks very cool. It looks very cool. Female barbarian woman killing monsters with swords. The same universe as Conan. Very, very like. Yeah. Uh, uh, Hannah, she was also in um, Killjoys, which was a really fun sci-fi show. Right. Where she was a badass bounty hunter. She's always a badass, isn't she? She's yeah. Always, she's always ready to kick some ass. Surrounded by handsome men. There's not, <laughs> there's not enough uh, of that Conan-y, he man we, we were talking about how much it's funny that yeah tick appeals to us. Um, Deathstalker. We just need more Deathstalker. <sighs> Play the theme tune. Red Sonja uh, actually be worth watching because it's um, it's not as good as Conan. It's, you can't say it is, but it's uh, it's got some fans. It's also got uh, Arnie in it. 
briefly. Nice. Oh, cool. Very briefly. Very cool, very cool. But yes. Anyway, uh, what else am I talking about? What else is going on? Uh, speaking of Game of Thrones, new photos of House of the Dragon were recently released. I know how excited you are, Adam. Game of Thrones, prequel. But it's got Reesifans. Rice iPhones. <laughs> yeah, is that which one are you going for? Reesifans, I'm saying. Okay. What's the right way of saying it? That's close. Rice is re- It's definitely Reese. Reese iPhones. iPhones? Yeah. Rissifans. I've heard that said. Let's say Rissifans. Yeah, say Rissifans. Rissifans? <laughs> Rissifans is in the next. Rissifans is in the next Game of Thrones. As is Matt Smith, Olivia Cook, Emma Darcy, Steve. Trussant the Croissant. Trussant. Paddy Considine, I can say that one. Yeah. He's playing Viserys Targaryen. So they've gone for a interesting crowd. They're all the same type of... They're all freaking brilliant actors. Well, they're all brilliant, but they also come from the same sort of generation of films and stuff. Yeah, the gritty old English movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That must have been deliberate. Especially Rissifans and, and Paddy Cons. Yes. Um... <laughs> But yeah, I'm 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 very excited. Um, I I obviously everyone knows that the last Game of Thrones series was a complete disaster and utter bollocks. But um, I'm I'm looking at the pictures of that that kind of costumes and the sets and stuff. I'm excited again. I'm I'm sold. I'm on board already. I'm ready to be sold down the river again. So yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. Maybe I'm making a mistake. But I'm tr- I'm trusting them again. I don't know if it's the D&D, the, the, the Benioff and the Weiss. Um, yeah, I was going to say, is it, it's is the it, same showrunners? If it's the same showrunners, surely you're in for a bad time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be... It's definitely not... George George Martin. The source materials from Give me boobs. Give me my money. Anyway, yeah. Exciting stuff on the horizon. So concludes Fortnite Schmortnight. Where did you get this? On a dig down in Thebes. <gasps> Jonathan, I think you found something. There is an ancient legend of a place known as the City of the Dead. You call it the doorway to hell. Where the earliest pharaohs were said to have hidden the wealth of Egypt. Are we going into battle? There's something out there. Something underneath that sand. They came to uncover its secrets. Mummies, my good son. This is where they made the mummies. They sought to unlock its treasure. And then there was light. Oh, boy. What they did... Oh, my God. It does exist. I think this may be the Book of the Dead. ...was unleash a force unlike any the world has ever known. You must not read from the book! You have unleashed a creature that we have feared for more than 3,000 years. He will regenerate and no longer be the undead. We are in serious trouble. On May 7th... Do you swim? The occasion calls for it. Trust me, it calls for it. Universal Pictures invites you. This powers are growing. Run! This just keeps getting better and better. To experience the adventure. It appears he's already chosen his human sacrifice. That will live forever. If he turns me into a mummy, you're the first one I'm coming after. Go! 
Finally, I've been looking forward to this for so long. The Mummy. Yes, The Mummy. The film, the first poster you put up in this flat. The first poster, uh, which was a birthday gift from my uni mate, Ash. Right, so the the photo is of Ardef Bay, the Medjai, who's in The Mummy, and he ret- he comes back in The Mummy Returns. And it's basically one of my favourite uh, memories ever of like uni is... I think all of me and my mates were going on a night out and then me and Ash bailed and uh, went to his room and we put the mummy on (laughs) and we just basically snuggled in his bed watching the mummy and then the mummy returned straight afterwards and it was the best thing ever to just take a a night off and just be all cosy watching the mummy. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I I, I absolutely love this movie and I love the second one as well and like my earliest memory of it, so when it came out in the cinema, it's one of those... One of the earliest films I remember watching in the cinema. I remember being terrified. I can't remember which bit precisely. Um, one bit really... Fr- it might have been the Beatles. It might have freaked me out. Or well, it might have been the actual bit where they opened the sarcophagus and then the the juicy corpse goes, bleh. Mm. This was 1999. Mm. What rating was this? I'm pretty sure it was a 12 because I got it. And, like, you know, my parents... And me, like you know, my mum and my dad, and my brother, we watched it together. Right. It was the, just such a great family movie to you know be <laughs> slightly spooked by. Like um, I, do, I, I saw it years later. I think. I think I, I remember it was um, a friend of mine's birthday or something, and we got we got the Mummy from Blockbuster, and we watched the Mummy as a group. Nice. And I remember, I remember some of us being more scared than others. But then halfway through doing that thing, we go, hold on, this is quite funny. You know, and starting to laugh along with it. That's the thing. The Mummy is supposed to be a remake of the 1932 classic horror. Uh, And I think it was pitched as a horror film, but somewhere along the line, they decided to make it fun. A fun action adventure, yeah. Very, very fun. With very likeable renegade kind of strong-jawed heroes. and And silly humour. It is silly. There are lots of silly bits. Also, the main characters are all murderers. I'd like to see a kill count of uh, Brendan Fraser's character. Oh, when when you take into account the fact that the Medjai came to Hamunaptra to uh, rescue the world and they just got shot to pieces by um, Rick and his, his friends and his uh, the fellow Americans. Yeah, a lot of good people get killed in this movie. Well, I think Rick murders in his imperialist ways for his I assume they're French masters at the very beginning. Oh, he's he, taking names. Uh, it's unbelievable. So he says, uh, so so. Um, we'll get into the start start 3,000 years ago, but the bit we're talking about, so he's in a, like a unit of... The, I assume they're French legionnaires. Yeah, and he's kind of, he's in charge of them though, that they they were his under his his command. Yeah. Well the officer legs it. The officer, the officer le- yeah, that's true. So it's just the the yeah, this is the era when uh is it nineteen where's it said? Nineteen twenty two? No, okay, right. Um so well, it's like the time of French Foreign Legion and all that sort that's of thing. That's it, yeah. yeah. So they would have recruited anyone and presumably we don't find out, but his backstory is probably a bit dodgy. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. He, he dual wields pistols. He's got that Indiana Jones vibe. Yeah. So could, he's probably a smuggler or a soldier that legged it or something. Gun for high, he's he's well known at the bar where like British Colonel yeah, is. Yeah, that's true. So he's he's kind of a personality. Maybe, you know, he does some shady stuff around, but you know, he's he's admired for his 
antics by this old dying world war one veteran well you could say that he's probably closer to your han solo than indiana jones yeah because on the surface this is indiana jones there's even some oh, yeah. scenes that are you just think that should have been indiana jones that if that wasn't even in it uh but his tone he's much more mercenary yeah he's more of a baddie he's had a very good time said uh a very good time. <laughs> he's uh yeah. He's a bit harder than Indy, isn't he? He's a bit more like um I think Indy well, he's a murderer. Indy's yeah. <laughs> a he's an archaeologist. That's very true. That's very true. But um yeah, like so so we start the movie one thousand two hundred and ninety BC. Um It starts in Thebes. Starts in Thebes with the Pharaoh Seti the First. Thebes City of the Living. Crown jewel of Pharaoh Seti I. Home of Imhotep. Pharaoh's high priest. Keeper of the dead. Birthplace of Anaxunamun. Pharaoh's mistress. No other man was allowed to touch her. Um, if I was um, getting naughty with the Pharaoh's mistress, I wouldn't bring all my solid gold priests with me. I, w- I wouldn't go to the throne room. Yeah, yeah you'd find a stable outside the city. Any or... manner of small Egyptian buildings <laughs> to have your naughty time. So the thing with, uh, what's her name? Try and say that. Anaxunamun. Yeah, okay, very good. The pharaoh has said that only he can touch her. And so has her covered in paint. And this is how he finds out that she's naughty. Because he sees that the black paint's been disturbed. It's like burglar paint. Smudges, isn't it? He's like, Who has touched you? She could have said... Oh, I bumped into the door. An asp fell on me. It was lucky <laughs> I wasn't bitten. You needed to get some pest control yeah. in here immediately. Oh, I was just lying down. Yeah. I rubbed my arm. I had a, mos- a mozzie on my arm. Yeah, so I had an itch. Yeah. Yeah. Anything. But instead, he calls it out. Him, old Himotep comes from behind a pillar, <laughs> takes his sword, and then he gets stabbed to death by both of them. Yes. Um, the ruckus and the screams alert um, Seti's guards. And... Um, in the oncoming escape, um, Anuxanamun kills herself. Well, yes, and she says quite quite importantly, she says, you run to Imhotep because mm. you are the only one who can bring me back to life. <gasps> what does that mean? Yes, indeed. So, yes, Imhotep and his priests leg it and they go to the city. So, Thebes is the city of life, it says, they say in the narration. They go to... Hamun, how would you say? Hamunaptra, the, Hamunaptra city of the, the city of the dead, to resurrect Anuxanamun. You're going to have to take the lead in the names here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, where they start doing a sort of uh, what's the word? They do a ritual. Yes. They do a ritual to summon the soul of Anuxanamun from the underworld and bring her back to life. Um, they've got her jars and stuff at the ready. Um, however. Just before they are able to complete the spell, Itseti's uh, noble, loyal uh, warriors come along and yes. capture them red-handed. And stops the, it interrupts the ritual, causes her soul to go away screaming back into the void. Very spooky-like. And then they all get horrifically... I mean, it's quite a horrible scene, really. It pans across the room of this tomb mm. and all the priests are getting mummified alive. They're getting their tongues cut out and whatnot. And yes. they don't mummify Himatep. Instead, they perform the Hundai, the worst of all curses. 
Um, so he will be undead, not truly dead. And they shove him in a, you know, they cut off his tongue. His eyes are still showing when they put him in the in yeah. The tomb. They, so the, they so they mummify the priest alive. For him, they don't take out any organs no, apart from his tongue. Just his tongue. I guess if he's a magician, he's a wizard. They, they don't, don't want, want him to do this. Yeah. yeah, good point. So they they bundle him up in in bandages, shove him in a sarcophagus, and then throw a load of flesh eating scarabs in. Yes, horrible things. Uh, and then they bury him under a statue of Anubis, and they say something like. Um, if he's ever brought back to life, he will be stronger, he will be immortal, he will have the powers to conquer the world. Essentially. What? What? Why are they burying him then? Choose a different curse! Choose a different death! Or, or do that, and then put the sarcophagus in the sea. Yeah, weigh it down, where no one can ever find it. That's really weird, because Egyptians were, well obviously it's not true but the egyptians are always about immortal life and that life is forever it's bizarre isn't it i i I know he did a naughty and i know it's a very bad punishment for him to be in that state of not quite dead or wherever he is when he's in that sarcophagus but i mean to risk the annihilation of the entire (laughs) world just for the punishment it just doesn't seem worth it no do you know what the egyptians believe this is an interesting side fact oh yes please uh they believed you would remain in heaven essentially their version of heaven as long as people remembered you right so that's why they make such a big deal about pyramids and statues and obelisks and having their name written everywhere because they want people to remember so there was uh, a pharaoh who i think she was an official pharaoh or she was standing in for a kid so that used to happen uh what was her name Got it all confused with all these names. Uh, she, Hut Sep Sut, something like that. Uh, she was really, really good. She was really effective. She got made everyone rich. And she was essentially wiped from history. All her statues got wiped out, all of her things. It was only when they found the tomb, years, like fairly recently, uh, that they found out her story. But what had happened is all her statues got like whitewashed. So oh, really? that, if anything, that is a bigger punishment because that meant she was no longer she's... allowed in the afterlife. So she's she's fine. She's chilling in the afterlife. She's eating some grapes underneath a palm well, tree. Now the fact I yeah, but until now, when I've told the listeners, now I've helped her. She's popped up even more. She's yeah. more real as people are listening. It's like I do believe in fairies. I do believe it's in fa- very much so. Yes. I do believe in pharaohs. Ah! Every time a bell rings, a, a pharaoh, pharaoh gets... stays in heaven or something. Very good fact, man. Yeah. I like that. So that's so I guess maybe that's part of this, is they just wanted him forgotten. So they buried him under a thing. Yeah. Never to be seen or heard yeah, from again. Yeah, yeah. Until thousands of years later, where, you know, we, like we said, it starts mm. off um the film properly kicks in in the City of the Dead after this flashback. Uh Rick O'Connell and his friend Benny shooting at the the approaching Magi. Uh, what, who at this point we just know are like evil sort of uh, swordsmen coming to kill them. And um, they, they're kind of fighting a losing battle. They retreat into the grounds of the City of the Dead. Uh, Benny uh, selfishly shuts himself in a tomb like, nice and safely, leaving Rick to a death of shooting. They, they corner him, they're about to kill him, and then all of a sudden it's, it's, the horses are spooked and they flee, and these sand wisps start popping up. Mm. And Rick flees himself. And then we go to Cairo, don't we? 
yes, we do. We, so we we four years time later, uh, we meet we Evelyn and her brother Jonathan, uh, and they they are a pair of English sophisticates in the in the city of Cairo. Very. Probably quite rich parents. Probably went to Oxford on a on an archaeology degree and then straight <laughs> over to Egypt. So Evelyn works in the in the uh, essentially the the Museum of Curiosities, where she's like an archivist, but she wants to excel. She wants more responsibility. She says at one point that she needs more field experience. Whereas Jonathan is what is he? A thief? He's a relic a, hunter. He's a he's like the black sheep of the family. He's just a party animal who tags along. I assume he's just moved. But he, the, he so he seems to have a trade in artifacts mm. because she says like, oh, "What have you got for me now?" And he produces this this mm, amazing amulet. Thing. Did he not find it in a coffin? No, he has it. He, he had just, it. He oh, just goes, "I've got it. I've just oh. found it." Uh, so he's obviously dealing somehow. We don't know how he got it. Hmm. Uh, but it turns out that it's this. This is this is very Indiana Jones. Uh, he gives it to Evelyn. Evelyn's looking at it. She manages to open it, and inside is a map. A map, a map to this mysterious city that's uh, people have dismissed as myth. It doesn't real the city of the dead. Okay. So he takes he takes Evelyn to the prison uh, to meet uh, Rick, who's imprisoned via uh, Omid Jalili, who plays a very fun character. So yeah, the, the 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 comic relief of the entire movie. Absolutely, the is a sleazy prison guard slash. Well, he seems a bit more. It seems like he's got more power than just an old. Prison he seems guard. like he's got a lot of money, like bits of money in a lot of places. He's yeah. a man about town. He he. Uh, but there's there's scenes where he's like bartering with women and yelling and getting slapped <laughs> by them. There's a scene where they're tying a rope to put up a tent or something and he keeps getting whipped <laughs> with the rope. And he's like, ah! <laughs> so they, they, they play on his greed and they, they, they buy they buy Rick's uh, freedom, basically, from the prison uh, after he gets hung. He gets hanged, which apparently got hanged for real and Brendan Fraser almost died. Where's the location to have an aptra? You lie. I will never... Are you telling me this filthy, godless son of a pig knows what to find the city of the dead? Yes. Truly? Yes. And if you cut him down, we will give you... 10%. 50. 20. 40. 30. 25. Ah. Deal. Ah. Cut him down! Who, who's in charge? Because this is the second week in a row we've heard something ridiculous. Like last week we were talking about Commando and we are hearing about how Arnie held up... The, the director wanted Arnie to hold that guy yeah. up over a cliff. What? And now you're hanging Brendan Fraser re- for real. Yeah. Like I obviously not, but I think his neck would have broken if he was if it was properly hung from that distance. But something must have gone horribly wrong. Uh, they probably just left him a bit longer than they wanted. <laughs> Apparently, he had to get resuscitated, which is terrifying. Yeah, awful. Um. So yeah. So Rick, uh, he he basically leads them back to the city of the dead. Um. And on the way, they meet a bunch of uh, other treasure hunters who are all going to the same place. The this at this point, there's quite a lot happening. We've already met a lot of characters, including the cowboys, who all have their own personalities, um, and they're being led by Benny, so the opposite of of Rick's character. There's so much going on, and I had to pause this because when they get to the city, it's still not done. There's a load of uh, Indiana Jones style puzzles and things, 
and it's an hour in. Yeah. And nothing's really happened. Like, get to see, the mummy isn't even, the mummy hasn't even woke up and it's an hour in. Like, I, I mean, in, in between that, there's the whole uh, lovely Egyptian riverboat scene, which is so good. It's yeah. so good. The, the shootout and the, the, the guys setting on fire and people jumping overboard. Oh, yeah, my yeah. God. Amazing. So that that was one of the other very Indiana Jones yeah. uh, sequences. So yeah, they get to they they find the city. There's various. They've all got sort of different theories on what to look for and things. Um, and they, Evelyn, Rick, Jonathan, uh, I can't remember what Omid Jalili's character is, but let's just call him Omid. Uh, they find a, a, a sarcophagus. They just randomly falls from the ground because they're underneath. The, whatever they dig in and they find it they well Jonathan's practicing his golf swing and he his ball must hit but they're, they're it. digging under the statue aren't they because the cowboys are oh, on yeah, top yeah, of it yeah. whatever uh, so yeah they find a sarcophagus they open it up and a big fury black mummy pops up Jorosku ah so cool uh, yeah it's dead it's very dead but they're all curious why it's still rotting yeah, still, still juicy, and they're still, and they're even more curious when they see the nail marks on the inside of the lid. So yeah. it's, it's so like you know, like as it wasn't pitched like like we said earlier, it's a fun action movie, but it's it's dark and creepy in all the right ways, in all the right mummy Egyptian ways. They just nail that tone with all that creepy stuff. I, I liked the the detail of the acidic salt water. Oh yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say the the so they uh, they're. The, the Americans and uh, the other guy, the treasure hunter, they're they're another part of the uh, of the of the place where they're digging, and mm. they so they're they're trying to yank this thing out of a statue, and like you say, salt acid, isn't it? So uh, pressurized. Yeah, so that's it. It's it's like vacuum molten salt acid stuff. So th- so this so about so they've got some cannon fodder with them, haven't they? They've, they've got some hired. Yeah. So of... because they're Americans, they've paid some locals to do the work for them. Yeah. Um, and they even say someone says, "Hey, hey, don't, don't you don't do that. There's booby traps." Yeah, yeah. Let yeah. those guys do it. <laughs> Most horrific death imaginable. Uh, yeah, and I remember it being more horrific. I wonder if that's just being younger and focusing on that. I remember that really clearly. I mean, if I'm like, because there's about two, a couple of them left. At that point, I'm like, look, you just killed three of my mates with acid. I'm a, I'm done. Pay me. Well, the tone is very of its time. The, the tone is very 1920s film, let alone the setting. Yeah. Because it does sort of treat them as... Downtrodden kind of like... Yeah. Secondhand citizens. Exactly. Yeah. And we see more of that later when the, the, tr- the locals go mad. Yeah. And they're oh, sort yeah. of treated like bad foreigners. Yeah, yeah. There's evil foreigners. There's an undertone of, you know, there, there's the shiny white people. Yeah, it's it's got that colonialism, imperialism, like, oh, we're here to help. Yeah. And Jolly e- good. And even, like, the apart from the dashingly handsome Ardef Bay, like, the the museum curator, he's meant to be Egyptian, where affairs, but he's very posh and well-spoken. Oh, yes, yeah, of course. Yeah. So um, there's a distinction. And then you go to Omar Dajili's character, and he's, like, a... A smelly, yeah. sleazy. So yeah, so he's very much. <laughs> he's a bit. Yeah, thinking about it, a little bit offensive, really, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? It's very much your Watto from Star Wars. Mm. Eh. 
Uh, speaking of, uh, he, meanwhile, while they're digging around and finding this mummy, uh, Omar Jalili's character goes off to go scavenging, doesn't he? And he finds yes, he some scarab-shaped jewels. Blue gold! <laughs> and this is, the, this is the other bit that sticks in my head as well. Uh, so, while he's picking these gemstones, he doesn't realise, doesn't notice... That they're actually scarab eggs, dormant scarab beetles or scarab eggs. Yeah, yeah uh, and one of them hatches and burrows through his shoe into his skin, and he tears his tunic as <laughs> this terrible CGI bulge. And then I remember this is possibly the moment I remember thinking, oh, is it a comedy? Because they find him again and he's gone mad because it's in his brain or something, the scarab beetle. And he just runs into a wall and dies. Yeah, it's done. What? It's fun. Okay. <laughs> and then, like, Jonathan says some off key thing, like, oh, well, he did used to drink and eat a lot. And like, oh, yeah, that must be it. Yeah. It's the hand wave, isn't <laughs> Didn't it? Didn't want to con- conduct some form of autopsy <laughs> considering where you are. <clears throat> Um, but yeah, like, so eventually the other guys managed to find the, the Book of the Dead, along with some naughty pots. Um, bear in mind, must be said that the box that the, uh, the, the organ cases is said, death will come on swift wings to whomever opens this chest. Oh, did. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> and the Americans open it. Um, so, wow, well, they probably shouldn't have done that. Um, but anyway, they, they come back up to, to the top level with the book. Um, Magi come and Magi go. They they manage to scare off the Magi again after massacring some, like loads of them. Um, and then that's when Evelyn takes the Book of the Dead from the sleeping treasure hunter and opens it. Yes, and it's a very it could well be in the world of Evil Dead. They find literally yes. find the Book of the Dead, read the words, and then all hell breaks loose. Yeah, no harm ever came from reading a book. That happens a lot around here. So what's it say? Amunra. Amunde. It speaks of the night and of the day. Sue aharum muktub sin mas ibet baya. Imhatipin zumpike sitsue yatue yatue yatue. Uh, so the words resurrect Imhotep, who is the gooey mummy, who proceeds to... No, it's interesting because a lot of the effects are dated and a bit rubbish. But Imhotep stands out as being oh, really so good. So cool. It's like they spent all their money on him. So cool. So he becomes this like hollowed out jerky man. Mm. Uh, just sort of limbering around. What he sets out to do very quickly is rebuild his body. Mm. At first, very clunkily, with literally tearing a tongue and eyes out and shoving them in his face. Uh, but then later, it becomes a bit more mystical and he starts sucking life from people. The power of sand and sandstorms. And- yeah, yeah. I remember that being terrifying as well when he takes the eyes from the American. Oh. 
Um, bad choice of, of man. Yes. Now, they should have played up on that, I think, because he takes the eyes of a guy who's essentially blind without his glasses. So poor vision, he literally has to, without the glasses, he has to touch the walls. So they should have had the mummy stumbling around yeah. <laughs> for just an hour until he finds someone with really good eyes. Well, that eyesight. would have been a good, a good uh, thing. That could have been a good character thing that he has to replace the bad things. Be- better things as he goes. Yeah, yeah. yeah nice. Like you keep seeing people with glasses and going, nah, nah, yeah. you know. Uh, but yeah, no, so this uh, amazing sort of performance of these creatures running around because the tomb then becomes a death trap. Not only have you got the mummy literally walking around trying to harvest your organs. You've got hordes of scarab beetles running around. Yep. Not 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 good. Not good. It's all bad. It's all bad stuff. When they get back to civilization and they're like, oh phew, got away from that baddie. Rick shoots the mummy and they get away. Mm. That's my memory of it. Uh, but then everyone's like, oh he's not dead. He's not dead yet. You can't kill him. This creature cannot be killed. And Rick's like, yeah, whatever. Let's go back and get drunk. Uh, but while they're in this bar, back in civilization, everyone takes a drink and everyone just <laughs> everyone spits it out and they see the fountain has turned to blood. Yes. And that is proper Indiana Jones as That's well. That's really cool. I really, yeah. really like that. More of that. Yeah. I'd have liked more of that. It's that spooky kind of, oh, I know this thing. This is ominous. This mm, is bad. The omens coming true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so, so this is, this is interesting. This is like, so in ter- terms of like the, the way the movie goes, desert fun, desert fun, desert fun. And then back in Cairo, back to normality. And then the mummy's there. And, uh, and then it becomes, like you said earlier, the, the spooky villagers becoming all possessed and the Emotep. Emotep. Yeah. The pacing of the movie completely changes and we get the backstory, get the story of the Magi. Bear in mind, this is probably like an hour and 20 minutes in. Mm. The first hour was them getting to the mummy. The second hour is, mummy! <laughs> what are we going to do about the mummy? Yeah, yeah. Oh, the boils. The boil, the sores and boils. That's and what the... causes the villagers to turn into terrible, terrible stereotypes. <laughs> Uh, flies and yeah so Imhotep his his objective is to bring himself back to health and then resurrect his lover yeah and he does so and he uh, uh, Benny who's Rick's uh, naughty friend he recruits him the language of the slaves or whatever. Re- in a really cool scene yeah where amazing the, scene the guy's just like oh every, every religious icon he's got on his necklace and he's trying to just try some sort of blessing to save his life and finally he lands on the star of david uh and yes the mummy recognizes it as the language of the slaves means the good lord protecting batch over me as a shepherd batches over his flock talk about Arnold Vosloo he, who played Himotep he is so perfect in that film um, they were going to tattoo his face um, but um, I think 
Stephen Summers' director, he sort of, I don't know if they tested it or whatever, but he said, no, you're too good looking. Yeah. You're too handsome. You're the perfect embodiment of Egypt and, you know, this, this character. And he's got a big presence and he's got a kind of mischief to him. Like when they're going through the desert and he makes that big sandstorm come up and that wall of sand, he's got a big menacing grin on his face. Yeah, there's one bit where he just looks really smug. Mm. And I quite like that in a villain. I'd say it'd be nice if he... uh, He doesn't really speak much, does he? Just knows Egyptian, doesn't he? That's almost a shame. It would have been cool if he, by like pulling the tongue out of the American, he could learn English or some some sort of explanation so he could have been really cocky and smug, you know? I'd have liked that, but that's maybe a personal preference. He gets sillier in The Mummy Returns. Yes. Um, which I absolutely love. I wouldn't have a bad word said against that sequel. But um, yeah, we'll we'll do that film another day. Yeah. Oh, man. It's so good. I mean, a lot happens very quickly. As it gets to the end, it's funny because my memory of the first hour is much clearer than the second hour. Mm. And I wonder if that's just because the speed changed. Speed, yeah. The pacing really sort of mixes it up a bit because they, yeah, they go away, then they come back, and they che- then it's very back and forth. I suppose you could argue if there was any mistake, it's, it's exactly that. It's, uh, they're going, they're, they, we know the location. We we go to um, Hamanaptra three times. We're at a start, we're in the middle. Mm. We go there for the final showdown. Would it be better if there was another temple off site that wasn't called Hamanaptra, which looked, which had a different kind of design, maybe? But, I don't know, it was different in there, I suppose. It was really or they'd cool. just spend the whole time... Solid gold treasure room and all that. They could have easily done the second hour just in the city. They didn't have to go back. Yeah, true. But I, I guess it, it, was a, it was a good final showdown thing. I liked, like the, the stairs leading down to, oh, the, yeah, yeah. to the chamber and the, the two uh, altars with the sacrifice and stuff was cool. Well, the thing I really like as well, and it's actually... I don't know if it's a, more common than this, but it seems to be in a few things when the pharaoh's guard emerge yes all these other mummies so start coming cool. out at first it's the priests who are like crippled and weird and deformed but then the the pharaoh's guard emerge and they're all strong and armored and when they roar their jaws go really long yeah 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 uh and that stuff because that was in tomb raider that's in loads of stuff mm. it's funny that that's a recurring thing but well, i was going to say this about the the priests more so and also when we see uh the mistress again post mummification they are costumes they are really awesome costumes and special effect makeup Brilliant. special effects especially her because yeah. at the end she's sort of half alive and running around uh but the imhotep is always cgi mm. and i can't help but feel it would have been cooler if he was it's a it's a difficult one isn't it because the cgi they did such an amazing job with it but i know exactly what you mean like if they took time i imagine again that they did tests and stuff to work out the best way to do it but yeah the same attention to detail as to i think part of it i read I, I just read this in researching it they originally he was going to be a bit more a bit more of a presence cgi in my tip uh but they liked him looking a bit transparent so they oh. took bits of him out oh really to make him sort of more see-through. I suppose the good, the best example would be like uh, Terminator Three. They used see that was the first time they didn't just use makeup because they wanted to see through him. Right, it's that kind of thing. They wanted to be able to see that he was not really there. Okay, right, I got you. Which I get, but they could just use the puppet. 
Yeah. Like, I don't know, I just feel like she's messed up because she looks so good mm. as an evil mummy running around. Yeah. She, she's got such a presence and she's definitely a real person in the costume. It's, yeah. No, I mean, could I they have exactly used... Because they've used him with like false arms that were really skinny and yeah, no, that's true. They, they, I mean, there's there's all sorts of camera trickery they could have done, but I guess like for me, I mean, they could have done both really. But the the first moment where he takes the blind guy's organs and you see him pumping up, you see sinews and muscles and there is also that yeah, arm, that yeah. looks so cool. Um, there but, is there is also that, and I think I, I said as well during the the screening of it, it looked weird in between. Yeah. If it was a puppety man. Yeah, 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 totally. I think, like, what you said in the movie, which was absolutely right, and then we both ended up getting very, very excited, was when uh, the big sh- the big hero shootout happened, when they were storming... Um, <laughs> yeah. Ardef and uh, Rick and Jonathan were storming into the tomb. They were shooting, like... Uh, Ardef's got some sort of, like, automatic machine gun kind of thing. And they're blasting the mummies, and bits are coming off the mummies, and things are flying off of them and that the sound and the the impact is perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were like, yeah, this is good. Well, that again, that was all practical. It was all like physical things popping. Yeah, really, really fun. Yeah. More, yeah, it was, it was very good. Uh, there was a, <laughs> there is a sort of sense of dumb American Hollywood to it, which sort of, that defeats the horror aspect completely, I think. And they're like, oh, these are bad mummies? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hell are these guys? Priests. They must have priests. All right then. You know, <laughs> you can imagine they've got bazookas and stuff as well. Uh, yeah, it's a fun film. I do also have a theory that at the beginning, Brendan Fraser, when he's fighting for the French Foreign Legion that he does actually get shot and this whole adventure was in his mind's eye in that split second before he died (laughs) so the moment when they see the statue and the horses freak out and he's allowed to survive and meet a beautiful English woman to save the day and get the gold and to defeat the evil and then right at the end he opens his eyes and he gets shot wouldn't that have been a fun yeah, that would have been a nice little spin. Or even at the end of the fourth film or whatever. We go, oh, this whole trilogy. <laughs> None of it happens. He's dead. Yeah. He's in the afterlife. And in the afterlife, Himotep's there. He's like, hey. <laughs> yeah. You didn't forget me, did you? Me. <laughs> well, we've been talking for way too long. So, yeah, wow. do you want this in the football. without any shadow of a doubt this gets in I'm, I'm letting it in the vip entrance this goes in the holiday media hall of fame a hundred percent i uh... you don't I, I i can understand why you'd be on the fence it can be in, sat in my section yeah <laughs> be like... buried under the rob statue in the vault yes i agree i agree yeah, it's good. It's a bit... I mean, it's not your classic. I remember it more fondly than I think it... Fair enough. ...is Fair enough. watching again. But it's still good. Yeah, yeah. Fun. Fair enough. Anyway, uh, I'll guess I'll choose one next time. Five links from The Mummy. We'll see. Very exciting. Adam's Film Reviews. The Lockdown Hauntings 2021. 
this unprecedented crisis that we find ourselves in, our silence and stillness is already opening an opportunity for those the spirits that choose to wander. The spirit of a serial killer, free from restrictions of space and time. I'm investigating a murder case, multiple young women. No forensics, no human trace. Energies, spirits, whatever you want to call it, they're out there. Unbelievable. We have an entity free of the circle. She's choking! What exactly do you want? Do you believe a spirit could kill you? The question is whether you choose to believe it. This is happening in France, Spain, Italy, Germany, Hungary. Now available to rent or buy on Amazon Prime, The Lockdown Hauntings might just be the first of a long stream of films set in or around 2020. In this case, specifically dealing with the UK's first lockdown in March of last year. I imagine somewhat uniquely, The Lockdown Hauntings is not only set during the first lockdown, but also filmed in it. Shot by one man, the director and writer Howard J. Ford. Kicking off with serene shots of a totally abandoned London, The Lockdown Hauntings opens with a narration by paranormal weirdo Jordan Myers, played by the quite legendary Tony Todd via a Zoom call. The implication being that he's been watched on people's phones and laptops across the country. One by one, we're introduced to a wide cast of people, each taking their first tentative steps into lockdown. The key names to look out for are Detective George Parker, played by Angela Dixon, her unusually nervous boss Alex Briggs, played by Justin Hayward, and a whole lot of virtually identical blondes, played by, to name a few, Tiffany Hannum Daniels, Emily Haig, Aviana Snow, Jessica Milson, Sophie Flack, Zena Islamova, and a whole lot more. During the opening scenes, we see much of the same. Someone enters their home, they comment wryly on the situation via FaceTime, Skype or Zoom, bemoan working from home and drink. Yep, it feels like a hundred years ago now, but in the first lockdown, these were pretty much the only things on people's lips. So I can forgive the formula to some degree. But as we watch, there is an ongoing narrative about the paranormal powers that might be having some influence on the world around us as people retreat into their homes. For one reason or another, each of the young women we are introduced to are on their own. Maybe they were planning on going home, but their mum is self-isolating, or they can't get a flight back home, or this is just their normal life anyway. With the warnings of Jordan Myers repeated, we begin to see that an evil force begins to prey on the young women. Them being virtually identical was for good reason, I'm happy to say, because for a moment there I wondered if the director was revealing a bit too much of his personal taste on screen. In any case, as the young women are first terrified by the ghostly goings-on, they begin to fall victim to the unseen spirit. Only glimpses of a Michael Myers-type mask are seen as the spectral figure attacks its victims, choking them to death and leaving an unusual mark on the body. It soon falls to Detective Parker to investigate the killings from her garden shed come office, as she begins to piece together the similarities between the deaths and the MO of a serial offender, Lyndon Robbins, played by... Russell Shaw, who supposedly killed himself on the first day of lockdown. You have to hand it to Howard J. Ford. This is an ambitious project to do, especially by yourself, and doubly for actually setting out to do anything in those first early weeks of the global pandemic. 
And while it's true, he appears to have cast from quite a mixed bag of talent, from the painfully amateur to the seasoned veterans of independent horror. The overall story works-ish. On a technical level, it's painfully clear that Ford owns a Steadicam. Long, gliding shots felt repetitive at best, and both pointless and tedious at worst. Thankfully, the showy-offy quality of the camera work dies down by the end of the film, and seemed to be mostly in the early stages of the project. What I must, must give praise for is the effects. Certainly, there was some practical prop work, but I suspect some computer enhancements happened along the way. I found myself genuinely impressed at some of the poltergeist-esque movement of furniture seen throughout the film, especially when objects are animating to be used as weapons by the spooky ghost. Where the film falls flat is, sadly, the performances. As mentioned, these are wildly inconsistent, and while most of the lamer attempts are cut short in the first act of the film, there is still some weirdness. Even after I realised what was going on, I found myself genuinely trying to work out who people were. The storyline, though straightforward enough, lost me at the end, where it felt like the theme of the film had worked itself out, and then just twisted into something that felt very, very weird and unneeded. So, in short, The Lockdown Hauntings was an ambitious project that shone a light on a very strange time in our lives. But thanks to some shoddy performances and a plot that would make a railway novella blush, it just isn't worth the watch. Though full credit to those who made the effort, it must be an impressive thing to put on their showreel at any rate. Mum, I can't see you anymore. Can you turn the camera back? Mum! Mum! This is Jordan Myers, trying to shed some light on the darkness. How do I stop a serial killer who's already dead? Well, Rob, that was the ruddy well show, wasn't it? That was it. That was the show. Thank you for joining us in uh, the desert. Mum, mummy waffle. Mummy waffle. I hope. <laughs> you, I hope you've learned a thing or two, and I hope you've uh, liked listening to our to our thoughts on on a wonderful film. Yes. So do follow us on our social medias at Hollowdale Media on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, if you liked what you hear, do consider following us as well on Patreon, uh, www.patreon.com slash Hollowdale Media, uh, where we do all sorts of extra stuff. Do extra stuff. You've got your Spooky Tales podcast. Spooky Tales podcast. We've got the Night Shift podcast, which is like this, but weirder. Weirder and swearier, you'll hear about my flump breakdowns and so much more. Um, yeah, and as well, all of the profits go straight back into our projects where we will create more stuff and it goes into things we'll be making in the future, movies yes. and stuff. Yeah. Uh, future projects, including some spooky things coming up later in the year. Yeah. There is stuff happening. Uh, we want to give you as many updates as we can, but not yet. Yes. Not yet, little ones. Yes, yes. But um, and until next time, uh, have a very, very lovely two weeks. Yes, indeed. Pop your allergen pills and keep the evil pollen out of your face. It's here. It's We can feel it. It's right there. Uh, and yes, we'll see you in a fortnight. Bye. It began in ancient Egypt with an evil high priest named Imhotep, who possessed the scrolls of Thebes and sought to steal the manacle of Osiris. 
they would give him the power to make the world his own. Fortunately, he failed. Three thousand years later, the manacle was rediscovered. But something went terribly wrong. And the mummy rose again. Now the race is on to find the ancient scrolls. And in the balance hang a young boy's fate and mankind's future.